Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Join us for today's episode of the Utopian Realities Slope Save Life on Planet Earth Blog Talk Radio Show, bringing you solution bearers with practical, proven, scientific ways to help you eliminate global level irradiation and extinction level threats from your body and bringing forward the means to restore and sustain global waters, air, soil, and sentient life. Welcome. Greetings, this is Lisa Wolf, your host. Welcome to the Utopian Realities from Concept to Planetary Restoration, Slope, Save and Sustain Life on Planet Earth, Earth Aid, Sunday Solution Bearers Forum, where we give people with real solutions and insights into global transformation, healing, and freedom, a platform to inform you, the listeners, about ways to bring a better tomorrow today. Please join the live chat on the program page and to ask questions or comment, phone 845-277-9359. Our guest today is Eagle Iman, Anishabi Elder, who will speak with us about the three classes of physical beings that exist under international law and introduce us to the foundation of international law. Eagle Iman, who is a de facto international legal advisor, tells us, we live in a world of law to the letter of the law, and the civilized do not break the law regardless of what it seem like on the surface, because they just make their laws such that they can do those things. Everybody comes from a tribe. Eagle Eye Man refers us to Meredith Quinn, who said, it does not matter who you are, because whoever you are, you are the direct descendant of a legitimate tribe and government that has signed treaty in the past. If you go far enough back in your history, you will find those treaties. This is all part of the discussion we will be having today. Clan mothers were and are the original supreme law of the land, and we will be speaking about the three classes of physical beings under international law and many other important, important things that will lead us to freedom. Welcome, Eagle. Hello? Eagle. Hello there. Hi, welcome. Welcome. My apologies, I had to unmute while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, good afternoon to you and to everyone listening. Um, Hopefully they're listening. <laughs> yes. Yes. So where do we begin? Where do we begin and how do we return to um, to the truth and regain our freedom um, for our own um, lives and future generations and the healing of the earth? Well, it's a good question and the topic of that discussion today, obviously. Well, in simplest form, it actually, um, how do you say, it's an easy thing to do. It requires one to return to their original 
tribal form of government. Because, as you mentioned, the foundation of international law, um, everybody comes from a tribe. Clans make up a tribe, and a tribe is a sovereign nation. Now, the reason why it requires that is because that system of government, if you have clans, and there's a head clan mother, she is, in English terminology, what's known as a queen. And a queen is the sovereign. If you look up sovereign, it means um, supreme, like power, uh, uncontrollable power in her own sphere of influence. So her sphere of influence would be her clan. Now, see, then this necessitates bringing in religion. Like some people say, well, what does religion have to do with law? Or even, uh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Well, religion has everything to do with law because that's what it means, literally. Religion comes from rel, R-E, Ligare, L-I-G-A-R-E. Ligare means to bind. And uh, relegare, a bind down and fasten back. And relegare comes from ligare, meaning to bind. So religion means to bind. You're fast, bound and fastened by your own belief. Because whatever your religion is that you believe in, then you are bound by those beliefs to do whatever it is those beliefs and tenets of that religion require. So your observance of your, you know, religion, <laughs> your law. Right. So religion has absolutely everything to do with law because that is literally what it means, law. It's the law that you're bound by, which the vast majority of uh, Christians and Muslims and that really don't get because if they did, well, what kind of Muslims do, I think, because they're bringing in that Sharia law now in the States and, you know, all over kind of thing. But that's why religion is law. That's their law that they're bound by. And that means that the Canadian courts have no jurisdiction over them because they're not bound by that religion, you see. Same with the Christians. Right. If they truly were bound by their Christian Bible, then they're not under the any of the statutes of the bylaw of the Corporation of Canada because they're not employees of it. You know, they're not under that law. They've got their own law. Same thing again, right? But none of them truly seem to understand how to stand on their own religion. <laughs> this is true. But the reason, yes, well... It is. They don't. <laughs> the reason why you return to that form of religion, though, is because that is what was here first. In the beginning was the tribes of the world. Red, yellow, white, and black, each in their own quarter, put there to take care of those territories. So that's what your tribal being is about, kind of thing. Peaceful way of life. Bearing in mind that uh, the, the civilized history that most people learn is majority of it, a crock of shit, put it plainly. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is a lot of truth in it, but there's a lot more that's omitted. And the relevance of certain acts and things that have happened, you know, and their significance to today. Um, it's said that the study of history is the study of law. And now, when you have a, a more accurate and full understanding of the history that's happened in the past, it makes you're aware of the significance of it. By that, I'm talking, for example, when the Gauls or the Visigoths sacked Rome in 408 AD, 
CD for the first time in Rome's history that the capital city had ever been taken kind of thing. The Romans were forced to sign an unconditional surrender because of that. This is an international event because the only way sovereignties can be extinguished is by through warfare being conquered or by signing it away, ceding it through session, ceding the session jurisdiction. So when that happened, the Romans had their sovereignty extinguished and they had to sign treaty. Some of the terms and conditions of that treaty were that they had to do everything humanly possible to protect tribal custom and usage. Because that's the kind of beings that the Visigoths, they were tribal peoples, they had clan mothers, tribal system of government, and clans made up the tribe, that beat the Romans and made them sign treaty. See, it is your birthright and everybody else's to claim the benefit of that treaty. But you have to be the same kind of being that signed it in the first place, i.e. have clan mothers. A clan system of government and a clan makes up a tribe. A tribe is a sovereign nation. The reason why semantics has everything to do with it is because you're all talking in the English language. But how many people have actually ever sat down and read a law dictionary from A to Z, an early edition, every single word in from A to Z? I can't say I have. Well, not many have. And that's the whole point of brunt of the problem is because everybody's communicating in this language, they think they know what they're saying. And actually they're, to put it bluntly, but correctly, legally termed, acting as imbeciles. So which um, edition would you recommend for listeners since we're hopefully laying out a course of education that uh, listeners can follow. Yes. Well, the first one that I read <laughs> through in its entirety was um, Black's Law, second edition. And I believe all these you can get, they're accessible on the internet and stuff. Um, but like Gabuviez is one that I'd like <laughs> to have a look at. Uh, the first editions as well, though, eh? if you can. The reason I say go back the earlier the better is because they give you a lot more sort of accurate description. And if anyone listening comprehends that when you're using legal terms, because of contract law, there's got to be a meeting of the minds, full understanding of what the terms means and things. And so that's where they can only mean exactly that. That's why it's called a term. Um, those terms haven't changed in meaning over thousands of years. They've been used since the time of the Romans nonstop in the law courts. That's the law system. That's why that's saying what Rome gave to the world, the law, because that's where your person comes from, Roman law, persona, a mask that an actor wears in a play, which is what the movie The Matrix is all about, <laughs> the Roman world of legal fictions. Yes. There's a lot. This is a lot. It's a lot of overwhelming knowledge for a brain to handle as well, in one shot kind of thing. <laughs> I know it was when I first learned of this knowledge and things, and I was, my brain wouldn't shut down, you know, for months like it. <laughs> well, it is quite, quite a course to sleep at study. Night. <laughs> and, and knowing what to study to become effective is key, you know. Um, well, yes, it's quite a simple concept, really. Um, 
you understand that is the language you're using and what you need to be aware of are the terms of art. Like if you look that up in the legal dictionary, art, A-R-T, and it'll say terms of, and the terms des leis in French, terms of law. This is their magic words, basically, kind of thing. And the thing is, if you're aware of them, there are ones in there that you can use to your benefit. And you've hooped them because it, it is their terms that you're using. But it's the correct ones which forces them to acknowledge you then in a different standing. I.e., I'm talking about the savage or an inhabitant. Because the vast majority, every single being listening to this, most likely, is classified as an inhabitant. With the exception of the white people, because they're classified as the person, which is your average Joe on the street, doesn't know who he is. Because the vast majority of people on the planet don't have a clue as to who they are, legally speaking. Well, define for us the three classes of physical beings under international law. And All right, yep. Yeah. Well, your first class, and it's, I say first because it is the supreme law, because it is what was here first, is your savage. Now, etymology and semantics again. Savage. Savage comes from the word silvictus. Silvictus means those who live amongst the trees. So now, if you live amongst the trees then you're living under the natural law. So when you look at nature, then natural law. Okay, if you actually look at nature, you observe it, and you make rational deductions, <laughs> what do you observe? Well, if you think of a herd of horses and a herd of elephants, what is there? There's a head matriarch, isn't there? There's a head female mare that runs the whole herd. Right. the elephant, the head matriarch, right? If you look at geese when they're flying, they're led by a female. Deer, moose, elk, all have a head female. Everybody's heard of the queen bee or a queen ant. Everybody's heard of the alpha wolf in a wolf pack. How many people are aware of the alpha female that runs the pack? When you look at the animal kingdoms in nature, you will observe that they are all matriarchal systems of government. They are all run by... This is where your religion and your belief gets its source of authority from the Creator. Because nobody can deny that the system of government used by the Creator is that of the matriarchal system. And that's what your clan is the same thing. You imagine, like I said, a herd of elephants, clans, they've got families, horses, same thing. Us, clans down the matrilineal line, families, clans along the matrilineal lines with a head female of that clan. Our head clan mother gets picked. The whole clan gets together and they all have to agree by 100% consensus as to who they're going to choose for that fill that spot. Once they do that, they then, then they all pledge their allegiance to her. This is where 
that can, that act because the power, the people are sovereign. That is where the power comes from. But in doing that act, this is sacred ceremony as well that you'd be doing, once you pledge your allegiance to her and stuff doing that, you are conferring on her that power of life and death over you. Because you agreed to it and you're pledging your allegiance to her. That is what gives her the power of a queen. She becomes the matriarch with power of life and death over the members of her clan. She is the law. She's above the law. She is the law. You understand? Yes. Yes, I do. So I have a question, which is, mm-hmm. so looking at um, the North American um, tribes, are there, are there any tribes that are, that are still operating functionally under the clan mothers, or are they operating under an imposed... Sure. The vast mm-hmm. majority are operating as prisoner of war, treaty Indians on reservations, concentration camps. But there, there are also, like, as to the, you know, tribal, what's going on, you know, in, on the ground in the reservations and things still maintained is a different matter, right? Right. Uh, for example, there was one here just recently, the Hader stripped their elected chiefs or something using their old Hader law of clan mothers and things. And that would just came out of the blue, right? Like, you know, they, they, the chief did something, he sold out their land or something, so they stripped him of his powers. This is just recently. And they did that using the part, the old hater law, the power of clan mothers. So you see, as an example, that shows then that they are aware of it. I've seen that on Facebook, when, but my comment to that, the thing now, though, is to keep it, to understand how, because you can give up your sovereignty very easily as well, right? One Meredith says, one wrong word can kill you. Right. right. As an example, there's a court case called Elk versus Wilkins. E-L-K versus W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And I'm quoting Meredith here. He says, the white man likes to use that on the Indian. Where do you live? The Indian. In the United States, that wipes out your sovereignty. Because if you're a sovereign Indian, then you're living on the land of your tribe's territory. You're in your own country, per se, so to speak. How can you be in any foreign entity's creation if you're from your own? And that's what the original, see, this is what I'm referring to about going back to your tribal roots, clan mother system of government. And anybody, anywhere, anybody listening to this can do that. If your family's got together along your matriarchal lines, meaning you trace your descent down your female line to whatever your clan is, because your clan comes from your mother. As a man, you cannot pass your clan on to your children. You, our responsibilities as men in, in raising children was to our sisters and uh, children's sort of thing, right? To all, you know, the same clan. Because each clan had its own responsibilities and teachings, right? Right. And now my own children say be the responsibility for raising them and that is their uncles. Because everything's done along the matrix. It's all matrilineal, right? And the clan, each clan had its own teachings and things. So 
it's all the in-house business, if you like, family business, because the children belong to the mother, right? Right. <laughs> so what would be the proper response then when asked, where are you from? Uh, well, when I had a police officer asked me that one time, and I told him on the territory of the Shishipiwakret, the Nishinabek, which translated would be on the territory of the Duck River Bay Indians. He wanted me to say Campbellville, Manitoba, because according to his jurisdiction, that's where we were. And he said to me, no, 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 where do you really live? And that's how he said it in a pleading kind of tone. Eh? I said, are you hard of hearing? I just told you, on the territory. He said, no, I mean, Campbellville, Winnipegosa, Stuck Bay, these are all places in Manitoba. Dolphin. I said, well, those places you're talking about on the territory of the Shishib Sipiwakret in Nishinaabek. This was a policeman I was sitting in the back of the police car at the time because I was driving my vehicle while I was traveling, not driving. But people understand the difference of terms on the highway with no license, insurance, registration. Uh, I got pulled over. They were looking for me. It was dark. And this cop knew who I was, my civilized name. And he'd said two years earlier that signatory Indians get arrested just the same as anybody else at a community meeting in Doug Bay. So this event was like two years after this earlier event took place, where there was a community meeting held and the police came up to Duck Bay to discuss the signatory Indians with the Indians. Anyway, two years later, this cop pulled me over, told me he was going to have to tow my car, charge me with driving with no license, insurance, and registration. Puts me in the back of the car and starts asking me questions, asking me my name. Eagle Eye Man. No, 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 I mean, your, what's your real name? Eagle Eye Man. Are you hard of hearing? So he said, oh, um, all right, well, okay, then where do you live? And that's where I, where I said earlier, on the territory of. And then he's in a pleading tone, he asked, no, I mean, where do you really live? Camberville, when it goes, so those places are on the territory of. At the time, what I was doing was moving my mum from one house to another off the reserve to the other side of Camperville. And I had about half a mile to go where I was traveling from, from where he'd stopped me. He told me he was going to charge me with driving no license insurance registration and tow my car. What he ended up doing was driving my car for me to where I was going. Let's me out of the car, hands me the keys back to my car. And as he's handing them back to me, he says, you do realize that if I see you driving your car again, I will have to tow it. I just looked at him and laughed because he told me that in the first place and he's giving me the keys back right now. So what's his? <laughs> I drove right by him an hour and a half later with a double bed on top of the car under the main lights now in the main street lit up. He didn't even put his brakes on. He just carried on going. Why me? <laughs> because you didn't acknowledge his because um, I didn't elk, elk versus yes, elk versus Wilkins. Where do you live? In the United States, he says, because he was living in the states, right? But if I was to say in Canada, in Manitoba, in Duck Bay or Camperville or Winnipegosis, the different villages and towns around, right? Well, those are on my territory. <laughs> 
those places you're talking about. You understand on the perspective that yes, you talk I, from? Yes, I do. I do. And it, if you put yourself it, in that mind frame, that's how simple it is. And that is the law. Um, it's it your brings, own words they use against you. It brings to mind, I, I mentioned to you before, that um, I live in the same um, grandmother Carrie Dan of the Western Shoshone Defense Project lives down the street from me. And, you know, she went through the court system, I believe, all the way up to the Supreme Court, trying to stand on um, the return of Western Shoshone-Nui lands to the people. And um, really, by entering into that jurisdiction, Uh there was, it was a losing battle. Yes, it was. Well, it actually was, because if, well, I'll explain to you now, like this thing, see, you don't, you wouldn't take your matter as an international matter to the domestic court of the United States, because it's an international matter. They can't see it anyway. If if they can see it, then it's a main means that you're not who you say you are, because you're not international then, right? You know, just understand what I'm getting at. All she has to do is actually present herself as a pro, um, removing the conditions of alienation, severality, and guardianship. These are three laws that all civilized nations apply to their aboriginals. It removes their, makes them part of the government kind of thing, alienates them from land, owning land, and stuff like that. You have to revoke those because that's what they're putting over you right now. Um, that's Western Shoshone and what have you down there. Um, and she would take a matter to Congress. You follow the diplomatic channels. You got nothing to do with the Supreme Court. That's got absolutely nothing to do with her. Her jurisdiction exceeds the Supreme Court. That's what the uh, judge told that 65 group of Sioux Indians when they were trying to claim sovereignty. He says, we cannot bring the causes permissus in a law or treaty. And it's like 12 words. And from what Meredith says, he finds that friend that that judge a friend because he laid out a presentation in a manner that he couldn't be tried by treason that showed you that told you that he can't bring bring clan mothers into the courtroom. Clan mothers are the law, but none of them 65 Indians knew what he was talking about. Basically, you can't go to church on Sunday and be an Indian on Monday. That sounds like a joke, but it's actually a legal truth. Because remember, religion, whatever your religion is, is your law. If you're a Christian, okay then, you said you were, so you're not an original. Are you? No. Because original goes by their own religion and law, that of the clan mothers, the clan mothers system of government. A god and a Christ and a different religion's story entirely has got absolutely nothing to do with so, the where it stands, to my understanding, um, and the general understanding, is that um, the Western Shoshone game is over because the um, majority of the people took the money from the U.S. government for the land and gave over um, the lands. Is nope. is it, game's not over? Nope, not at all. Because those Indians that they paid off and that didn't have the authority to surrender it in the first place, to get paid off for it. 
Who has the authority? The clan mother. Yeah. Exactly. If you can show me in treaty where the clan mothers ever signed away their rights to the title as landholders to the territories, then I'd say, yeah. But as you can, then the answer is no. The, exist, the framework still exists. Like you're saying, the Western Shoshone, for example, is to come down there. All they've got to do is organize themselves on their clan system, which if they already have, well, then all they've got to do is proclaim that to the world again, like their declaration <laughs> to the world, make proclamations, act as sovereigns. You don't suggest to the white man, as Meredith says. You do not suggest to the white man what he is to do. You command him what he is to do. You understand what I just said there? Yes. Now, One is coming about from your a friend there of the Western of, Shoshone. Mm-hmm. Right. Petitioning yes. versus sovereignty coming from yes. a position of strength. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So now you take that back to your friend there, the Western Shoshone. So the game's okay. not over. It hasn't even started. The game is over. It's over for the Romans. It was over since the 408 Treaty because they are your friend and ally. So saying the history and things, how it all ties in today. Law never grows whiskers, never gets old. Unless you put a piece of paper on top of it to put it to sleep. If it's on the books, it's still law. Same as it is in Saskatchewan, Canada, for example. In Saskatchewan, it's still legal to shoot an Indian from the back of a covered wagon. Wow. And I think there's still laws some like that in the books in the States and things, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's go back for a minute. We were talking about, um, so I, I find it just really um, interesting that, you know, people use the word savage as an insult. Oh, you're nothing but a yep. savage. But actually, it's a compliment. Yes, it is. In this world of white man's legal law, it's like black is white and white is black. Because that's exactly the problem, you see, is what I was talking about reading a dictionary and actually knowing the meanings of the terms. See, most right, people well, think let's... of it as a derogatory, but it's not. It's an illegal classification, meaning you're a sovereign. Now, you said there, um, in another conversation we had, um, you said another another term of power actually is, is barbarian. Dignitary. Is that right? Yes. Well, and, barbarian is synonymous with savage. Okay. They're interchangeable kind of thing, right? Except the barbarians. You ever watch any movies of the Romans? Yes. And they're going around. Who are they always fighting? Barbarians. Tribal peoples, yeah. And what do they call them? Barbarians. And what did they have? Clan mothers. See, finally, the tribes got uh, sick of the Romans. They were getting, the Romans were going around all over the place, right? Kicking ass kind of thing. So the white tribes, the yellow tribes, and the red tribes all came to the Indian of the Americas for help. This is the foundation of international law, treaties between the different tribes of the world. It says, Meredith said, before the Indians would help them, though, they had to sign a peace treaty with the Indians. 
as if there had been a war, even though there was no war. That's the interesting thing about uh, um, the Noah's Ark Treaty, for example. The treaty between the White Tribe and the Red Tribe is known as Noah's Ark Treaty. Not a boat like in the Bible. Uh, you had a treaty with the Red, uh, Yellow Tribe and the Black Tribe was the Seal of Solomon and the Palladium of Troy Treaty. So Noah's Ark Treaty, Seal of Solomon Treaty, Palladium of Troy Treaty. For one of for the three, the white, yellow, and black tribes with the Americas, Red Indian tribes. And the other three, so that's three treaties, and there's three more. These six are the foundation of all international law from which the white man gets his just gentiums, the law of nations. The three on the Indian side was your canes of authority, South America, wampum belts, and peace pipe treaties. So half of all international law is tribal custom and usage. So the tribes signed with the North Americas. The North American Indians told them whatever they needed to know to go back and defeat the Romans, and we went back and defeated the Romans in 408 AD. When that treaty was signed, it was known as the Camel's Eye, Eye of Isis, or Eagle Bowl, variously known as by different tribes kind of thing. The American Indians of North America were over there and were a signatory to that treaty as well. And when was this eagle? 408 AD. Okay. At the time of the, of the Visigoths? Yes. It's beginning, coincidentally, of, have you ever heard of the thing called the Dark Ages? Yes. Yeah, it began at the fall of Rome. And the Dark Ages ended when the Renaissance began, right? And when did so the Renaissance say. begin? Yeah, so they say. But there's a legal reason behind this as well. It began around 1491, 92. The Renaissance, the Enlightening. Well, 408 AD, and they just say, the Romans were defeated in warfare. Beginning of the Dark Ages. It was a dark age for them, the Romans, because they were no longer in the position of world authority. They'd been defeated and had to sign this peace treaty, peace treaty with the tribal peoples. A part of which was that they had to do everything they could, humanly possible, to protect tribal custom and usage. So you see, they're still bound by that treaty. The Renaissance, well, dark when they were not in power. Renaissance, hmm. What happened then if their ending of the Dark Ages, they got back into power? Well, in 1491. The chief of the white tribe, Yves Zagal, sold back the title to the old Roman Empire to the descendants of the Romans. That's who, who your royal houses of Europe are. They are direct descendants of the Romans. They are the Romans. 1491, he sold back title to the old Roman Empire to them. Renaissance, back in power. 1492, Columbus supposedly discovers the Americas. Columbus had detailed maps of where he was going before he ever left. They already knew it was there because the white tribe had been trading with the red tribe for thousands of years. We had a trade treaty with them. Um, part of the was that that we'd pay them monies under this trade treaty. So when the Romans brought back their title to their old Roman Empire, they also inherited that trade treaty agreement. 
but they couldn't afford to pay them what they owed them under that agreement. So they decided they'd rather try and wipe them out, which is why Columbus was ciphered as a pirate, because by treaty, the Europeans couldn't have to protect them. So they can't break that treaty. So what they did was create a pirate, because what do pirates do? Break the law. <laughs> Right, and steal. But they weren't directly breaking, yes, and but they weren't directly breaking the law themselves, you see, thus breaking that treaty. You see what they're saying about how they can manipulate their laws to <laughs> make it seem. Wait, how, how did they go around it? They because... ciphered Columbus as a pirate. Oh, he was classified they... by them as a pirate? In yes, actuality? that's what his papers, his cipher, what, yes, in actuality. Columbus was a pirate, so was John Cabot. They were ciphered as pirates. That's what their ciphers that they carry, you know, like their seal and stuff, meant. Right. And that's quite significant because it means that they're not allowed to be attacked by the uh, navies of the civilized world either. It's like a free pass on the high seas. Really? Yeah, because they're on the illegal business of the crown, isn't they? <laughs> the crown doesn't want, you know, its own ships or anybody else. It's the same as, right. Thing. It's like... The CIA or the NSA or anything like that. It's like, like ISIS that. right now, I guess. The Yanks asset, isn't it? They don't yeah. want anybody hurting it like the Russians have been doing. <laughs> right. So, um, so barbarians and savages um, are the original peoples yes. under these treaties. Is it is it possible for people to find and and read these old treaties? These was it six that you mentioned? No, not as far as I'm aware. They are, probably are in existence somewhere, but I cannot say where. I do not know. Um, and you know that there is an awful lot of you know ancient scrolls, like things you know, many thousands of years old that exist. As an example, the civilized nations, the Romans, they've maintained their institutional knowledge and libraries. They have what's known as the Plutarch which is their librarians, for over 3,000 years. So what I'm trying to convey there is you imagine walking into your library and being able to go back to, in your paperwork, an event 3,000 years ago and see what was going on and who signed what. That Quite would be an nice. Yeah, yeah, well, they have that. See, when you sort of think about that, you realize what you're up against as well then, right? Yes. <laughs> But nonetheless, so, none of it matters if you go back to your original tribal being, because that puts you in the classification of a savage or a barbarian, depending, right? Right. Well, being. like I said to you, I mean, for someone like me, who's of however you want to characterize it, I characterize myself as Hebrew because I like to distinguish myself from those persons doing acts of murder and abomination um, who share heritage with me, but my people traveled through Europe and uh, and Asia and, you know, finding the records to know what clan I come from, uh, you know, seems almost impossible. Um, oh, that's where you get into your spiritual aspect, like fasts and vision quests and things like that. The mm -hmm. answers will come to you. Like, that's part of the realization of law as well. Like all of that is real. Literally. When you go and do things like that, you will get answers. 
See, part of the powers of a clan mother, a head clan mother, is the power to control the forces of nature, Lisa. To keep the peace. Because when you're truly in your power and your knowledge and your communion with nature, you have those powers. I mean, you go to the witch hunts, right? They used to, what do they used to do with witches? Burn them at the stake. What does a witch do? Cast spells. And what were them spells, you know, you'd see in different things like bringing up the sea, you know, to sink ships, bringing up the wind, all kinds of different things. That's exactly what Cleopatra did to the Romans in actual another piece of history. Julius Caesar, the Romans, why Julius Caesar was killed is because the Romans thought that he had given away their tribal identity as being Greeks to Cleopatra. Queen Cleopatra was the head clan mother of the white tribe. She had the power to control the forces of nature. So Caesar met with her. She recognized him for who he was. He didn't tell her that they were the Romans were the Greeks, because the Romans are Greek royalty, called the Romacos. The, uh, the Greek peasants revolted and the royalty fled, and that's where, if you look in the Roman history period of time, this family sort of appeared out of nowhere, of nowhere and took over. While the Romans aren't Italians, they were the Greek royalty that fled, Romacos became Romans. Cleopatra recognized them for who they were. And as the Greek royalty, they had signed a treaty with her ancestors a thousand years prior to that point in time, so about 3,000 years ago. She made him own up, stand up to the terms of that conditions of that treaty. That's why he was executed. But like I said, he hadn't. She just recognized him for who they were. So then they sent Mark Anthony. He spent 11 years with her and they had twin sons. It took him 11 years, though, to find a twin boy and girl, I think, children. It took him about 11 years to find out the period of time when a clan mother can't use her powers because she has to, like, um, you know, like give back their the quiet days kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When when she's you know resting, she can't use her powers. See, I'm bringing this up is because the first instance when Rome attacked Egypt, they sent their navy, and if you recollect, they'll talk about that. It was a big storm. Came up and wiped out their navy. That's what the Romans, you know, what I mean, it was just mother nature it was, but just bad luck that the seas happened to, you know, there was a big wind came up and all the whole navy got sunk. So, scratch that plan of attack. Let's march the army around the Mediterranean. And they did. They had a nice size army. Once it got into Egypt and that, the winds came up again and uh, had sandstorms that decimated their army. Decimated like nine-tenths. <laughs> Then they realized that they were dealing with a clan mother that did have the powers to control the forces of nature. And that's when they sent in Mark Anthony and that for the subterfuge aspect. Right. To find out when she couldn't use her powers. And on the beginning of that day when she couldn't use her powers is when the Romans sailed into the harbor, into port, and took over and killed hers and Mark Anthony's children, which apparently sent Mark Anthony a little bit over the top and I think he ended up committing suicide. She was killed. The rest is history, as they say. <laughs> right. Well, let's <clears throat> let's move forward for a moment 
and talk so we were about savage persons and inhabitants. You wanted all three. We got to the savage. <laughs> yes, yes, and because I know that a lot of our listeners, um, either today or in the future, are are people who are exploring um, changing their status, so to speak, yes. so as not to be um, U.S. corporation citizens. Yep. And could yep. could you summarize? Um, what um, what we all are right now and what the U.S., um, the United States of America at this point is before you um, just, you know, go into what all of us who haven't been able to correct our status are? Well, like when you say, you know, there's United States, all capital. There's a lot of United States. There's United States of America, lowercase, like the states united in action. Then there's an uppercase U, United States, which is a different entity again. You've got United States in all uppercase. They're all corporations kind of thing. The original like United States would have, would have been a republic, not a democracy, but a republic. But again, they're all creations, entities under the corpus juris secundum, like the civilized rule of law. See, they're all make-believe fictions, which is what the Romans work on. That's what a person is, make-believe legal fiction, right? The problem is everybody thinks they are a person, not knowing, no. Persons are birth certificates, a piece of paper. You can't literally be a person, but they think they are. When asked, are you this person, read out a name, and they'll say yes. Well, when you say that, you just prove that you're mentally incompetent, you're non-compass mentis. So you need to be taken care of. So how you, you were asking, how is everyone classified? Well, in Canada and that, they're all classified as a child of the province. In the States, I imagine it would be a child of the state. Because you're non-compassmentous. You don't know how to conduct yourself legally. You don't know who you are, right? So you need somebody to take care of you. Thus, they are your guardians, actually. all these And taking care of you. Putting you in jail for your own good. So... Basically, savage person, inhabitant, a person, like is what it comes down to. All those United States deal with persons. A person, like you said, is your average on the street, doesn't know he is. Then you have your subclassification, though, which is the private person, which is in the civilized rule of law. And civilized means Roman. Civil law is Roman law. So any civilized nation by the very fact it's telling you it's a civilized nation, is telling you that it's using Roman law, has clamothers as well, because person also means imitator. And see, the Romans have what is known as gens, and gens is, means clans as well. It's the same thing. It's just the Romans' own right groups of family. They know, call them gens. Root word, genocide, death of the Cide, genocide, death of the gen. That's why mm -hmm. what they've done to the Indians is genocide by the meaning of the word, but in actuality, technically, isn't. Because Indians don't come from gens, they come from clans, you see? So it would be clanicide, if anything, death of the clan. That's right. why you can't charge them with what they've done to the Indians with genocide. Because it is genocide. But it's also racist because the Jens are like the Romans. They're white. If you're not from the white race, then they don't apply to you. 
because it is racist. Everybody else is classified as a lower being, an animal, inhabitant. Deer, moose, elk inhabit the bush. What can you do to them? Because they're only inhabitants. Well, a treaty Indian or a Métis or a yellow man or a black man who calls himself anything other than like an original tribal being is an inhabitant, a third world citizen. He hasn't, if you do not have a clan mother system of government, because that's what a third world nation means, means you have no legitimate clan mother system of government. You're like in war well, yeah, they're, they're using us. If you're using any system of government that doesn't have a clan mother that you appoint, like, you know, chooses your head clan mother to be the queen, then you're a third world. It doesn't matter what that system is. Because the first is what was here originally by the creator in, that you find in nature the women rule. Clan Which is the savage mother. or the barbarian. Right. So then you've got your person, the average Joe doesn't know who he is, and then you've got your private person, which is the royalty. And why are they royalty? Well, person also means imitator. What are they imitating? Well, they have gens, which are the same as clans, and they have head clan mothers of those gens as well. It's like Murder says, don't kid yourself. The white man knows what clan mothers are because he has clan mothers of his own that he has to listen to. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But they're only imitators of the original. But that imitation is still over the inhabitant. Rule of law supersedes another. See, so your inhabitant, while well, your person, private person, is above an inhabitant. So it can do, two can do to three whatever it wants, can't it? Because legally speaking, it's an inferior level of law. Right. It's only an inhabitant. Which is what animal. was laid out in the um, Constitution, where you had to be a white male landowner, right. and everyone else was um, either considered, you know, three quarters a, a human being. But even the word human being has has a meaning yes. that we don't understand or realize, yes. doesn't it? What does human being actually mean? Well, if you look in Ballantyne's uh, third edition, Law Dictionary, it says, um, C, like for a human being, human, mm-hmm. C, as in look at, S-E-E, monster. Go and look at the meaning of the word monster. And I'm just recalling from memory now, if you go and look at monster, monster is a prodigious birth of human resemblance or something like that and then there's a period and it goes on about inheritance and stuff like that but the point is the period that encapsulates it that's it, it's a prodigious birth if you go and look at the meaning of the word prodigious prodigious means prodigal now you've heard the tale of the prodigal son in the bible yes well uh, well a prodigal is somebody that can't take care of their financial affairs as you know, a, a profligate and, you know what I mean, just can't handle their money, mm-hmm. can't take care of their financial affairs. So thus they need a guardian to be appointed for them to take care of them. Now, you follow everything I just said there? Yes. Okay. So 
it was just when you're asking how is everybody classified, and I said, well, like as a child of the province or a child of the state, because they don't know who they are legally, right? Right. They do not know how to conduct their financial affairs, do they? No. So that's monstrous, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that's a human being. Uh, you see the world that they weave? Yeah. Well, I'm not a human being. I am a savage. Yeah. I'm remote from human. The civilized are human beings because that is what they call themselves, isn't it? Yes. Yes. They are human beings. In that Treaty of 408, they promised to do everything humanly possible to protect tribal custom and usage. And they will if you present yourself to them as a tribal being. <laughs> so, it's literally so let's, that simple. Um, okay, so, so we've defined um, the savage and barbarian, um, the person, um, private person and yes. private person, um, which is royalty and the civilized rule of law, inhabitant, which is a third world citizen, a treaty Indian, or a prisoner, prisoner of, of war. war. So yeah. at this point, then, and um, the savages of North America are are um, generally existing as prisoners of war. Absolutely. And yes. my understanding as I believe it was Ken Cousins and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, he touched on the fact that um, most of us Actually, the rest of us, too, are prisoners of war. Um, yes. Well, I think that's what, when Russell Means, I think it was, was it Russell Means, made that comment, we won't be free until the white man is free? And if it was Russell Means, it was one one of the Indians somewhere back in, back in the day that made that comment, which is exactly what you're saying. Because the white man doesn't realize that he's a slave either. <laughs> Right. Well, well, many are realizing it and trying to figure out, you know, what papers to file and what to say and what to do and, you know, mm -hmm. and again, um, trying to stand on what they see as the original um, U.S. Constitution with a small U, you know, in United. But there, yeah. there are problems there as well. You and I were part of a conversation one day with um, Judge Anna von Rietz, you know, who I know yep. we both respect, but we're all trying to get to the bottom of this so that we can lead people forward. So what's the, what's the problem with the constitutional argument that... Um, Simply are, put, it's a private compact between those individuals that signed it. It was for their posterity. Look at the meaning of posterity. It's their descent. It was an agreement for like themselves and their descendants. Unless you were a party to it, or your ancestors were a party to it, how does it apply to you? Uh, well, it didn't. And, I mean, it I doesn't, <laughs> doesn't apply to anybody I wasn't, else either. I'm not, you know, a descendant of an original white male landowner. So, um, I mean, one of those particular 50-something that signed it, because they're the only ones that signed it, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's their posterity. So 
So it was a private corporation at that point. Yep. Well, it was a private compact, right? It's a private agreement between those individuals, isn't it? All right. It never was, you know, what everybody thinks it was. I mean, there are court cases uh, that point that out. I can't recollect right now, but um, there's a number of them, you know, where the judges have said, like, you can't bring in the constitutional argument because it doesn't pertain to you. You know, you weren't a party to it, literally. Like they, that's been pointed out you know, in court cases, different places, different times. All right. Um, so <laughs> it's a con. That's the problem with the Constitution. <laughs> um, I mean, most people are not aware of and really can't wrap their heads around the fact that the United States is still an English colony. They all know we beat the English in the you know, War of Independence and that. No, actually, they didn't. What they did was at that time, they won a battle. And if you understand the difference between winning a battle and winning a war, two vastly different things, because they did win the battle, but that didn't give them their uh, freedom or independence. They hadn't defeated the English in warfare at that time. The English king kept his troops in North America for another seven years after that supposed defeat. And if you look at the oil paintings of that time of when the English troops were returning home, it shows you them they're painted marching onto the ships, all marching in formation, they're all carrying their weapons, little drummer boys are drumming. This is seven years after the fact, and it's a supposedly defeated army. What's the first thing you would do to a defeated army if you a standing army in the field when you defeat them? Strip them down to their underwear. <laughs> all right. You disarm them, yeah. So seven years later, here they are, walking onto the boats, fully armed, because contrary to the popular belief, all that was won was a battle, wasn't the war. And you can see this very clearly as to who still owns the United States. If you go and look at the Treaty of Peace in Paris, uh, when was it, 1786, I think, sometime after the I forget the year, some, somewhere around there, 1783, 786, Treaty of Paris, between the United States and the King of England. It tells you right, right on the top when the King of England's laying out, you know, all his possessions as the King of England and of France and the Prince of, uh, as you say, the Prince of Prince of something and of the United States. Well, he tells you right in the thought he's the Prince of the United States, yeah. If he was defeated and uh, these guys are operating from a position of equality, how could he could still be the prince of the United States? And if you look at the terms and conditions, the king's dictating under this term peace treaty as to what the terms and conditions of this treaty are. Right. I mean, there's black and white documentation. Like, um, the easiest place to go for people to go and look at that would be to, you have to look for an archived website now it was known as atgpress.com. That's A-T-G-R-E. Yep. A as in Apple. T as in Tom. G as in Ghost. Press. P-R-E-S-S. Dot com. But you have to look for its defunct site now, but if you look for web crawler, like archive, the Wayback Machine web crawler. Right. You can find the archive of that site. There is such a wealth of information there. All the 40 years of research by a guy named the, the Informer. But people that want to go and check and look, you you can find out 
the exact hows, where's, why's, black and white, you know. Right. Why it's still a colony, exactly how, you know. It's all there. There's no argument. It's not opinion. It's black and white. It's law. Simple. So, um, so what's not so simple and is still a mystery is how to help, and I don't, you know, I use the word people. What's a better word to use? Um to well, people to is, all is, of ourselves. Is people in all right <laughs> I think it is. If you use, yeah, like the lowercase P for the people, <laughs> all right. makes a difference as well. You know, so, you know, and and in searching for a path to freedom, um, to change status, you know, it would be really nice to have a course to follow and to lead people on um, so that you know, people aren't exposing themselves and, you know, winding up in losing battles, um, you know, or paying Mm -hmm. ungodly sums of money to um, what some refer to as patriots for profit, who, you know, you can lay down vast sums of money to and, and perhaps still not um, get the job done. Still not achieving anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and really, you know, just endanger yourself further. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's the real question, and I I think that's probably why you know we still have another hour in our conversation, but it will probably take more than one conversation um, to begin leading people practically to freedom. But I want to turn attention to the situation um, in the Dakotas right now. There are a lot of um, Lakota Sioux um, putting their bodies on the line. I know um, there is. A lot of inhabitants putting their body on the line. Yeah, to stop the the pipeline. And... I'd like to be able to start to lay out for those people in particular um, what could become a more successful use of people's energy. Is is there anything that you can say to that Absolutely. plan of action? Well, yes. I mean, they have their clan systems and things. Um, they've just got to do the paperwork again to like reestablish the fact that they're still in existence and using it. You know, I'm like, hello, hey, you know what? We're still here, and guess what? No, you're not putting any pipelines on our territory. This is the thing about law. Remember I said, don't suggest to the white man, you command him what he is to do. To do. So they want to put these pipelines across sovereign territories. The land has never been ceded by the American Indian. They never signed it away. Clan mothers. And this is why the Americans are so scared of the American Indian clan mothers. American Indians have never been defeated in warfare. That is a very, very important fact. Why? Well, as they say, the two ways you can lose sovereignty in international law. Conquered through warfare, or you sign it away. Well, Indian sovereignty, you see, on a global basis, has not been extinguished by the Romans. It's the one sovereignty left that can challenge their sovereignty. 
So why are they able to be arresting these these people? Because those people are classified as inhabitants, prisoners of war. They have the uh, conditions of alienation, severality, and guardianship attached to them. Because they're being taken care of for their own benefit. It's funny as it sounds, it's not, but it's the way it is. Because those people do not know who they are, Lisa. If those guys riding up there knew that like, they were Cheyenne, as she, you know what I mean? As Cheyenne would speak like Sitting Bull and Geronimo, those guys. Imagine if the cops or anybody like were talking to those guys. How do you think they would be? You know, you're an island. You're the ones going to get it. You know what I mean? Well, that's the truth of the matter still, legally speaking. That's what I'm getting at, right? The power of law is on your side. It. It's not taking you don't need it the physical the force. Court. No. Absolutely not, because then you get you're going to the wrong forum, aren't you? You're in the wrong area. You're in in a, in a domestic court. You're submitting to the jurisdiction already by going to that court, right? Which is what you were saying, like, and that is the point. You are like your friend there when she took it to the Supreme Court, and that while she was lost from the very get-go because she was in the wrong court from the very get-go. She wasn't, you know, following diplomatic procedures, protocols as a diplomatic nation, was she? Right. So let's lay out let's lay out for the clan people of the Great Sioux Nation what would be the appropriate steps to take right now. For any that are listening and come across this, a lot of them, like the older ones and that from the seventies and things, are gonna be aware of this, they know of this. Because they'll know of Meredith Quinn. He was the international legal advisor for the Iroquois Confederacy for 10 years. He was registered in the United Nations as the legal advisor, international legal advisor. Like he taught this knowledge a lot, you know, back in the day in the 70s there and that. Um, he did a declaration for the Seneca Indian Nations, I think back in 75. And like you said, he created the first Iroquois Confederacy citizens since. Something like 1794, I think. The last ones changed over from, you know, being signatory to inhabitants <laughs> being taken care of instead of being sovereign on their own, under their own system. But, um, and that was like 300 and something odd people at that time signed the declaration, right? And sent it out to the world and things. Like he says, it's nothing to create and make you sovereign. They'll overwhelm you in six months through the religion. Because if you're not, this is why religion all comes down to religion. The easiest way like you're asking, and you have to understand it is believing in and practicing in your ancient religion. That Which is why is there it. was a banned Indian religions until what? When yep. was that? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I forget when the well, they created the American Indian Religious Freedoms Act. Mm-hmm. Now, signatory, though, isn't on there. Because <laughs> all those ones that are listed on there belong to the American Indians, uh, American government. See, this is what I mean about religion being law. And they use that against Indians. How many Indians do you know that will say, believe, I either that they say, practice uh, Wavoka 
or Black Elk's teachings or the Handsome Lake Code teachings, right? Different Indian sort of teachings. All three of those were created by the American military and forced upon the Indian. Wow. Remember, your religion is your law. Whatever you say your religion is, well, that's your law. So if you say your religion is any one of those three, well, then you belong to the Americans because they made them up for you and then forced them on you at gunpoint kind of thing. What about the Sundance? Well, that was the ones that they were trying to wipe out, right? The original Sundance and things is part of your original system of government, law and ceremony. It's always the original that they're wanting it because it's under your original that you have your sovereignty. And that okay. is a, it doesn't matter who you are, a matriarchal system of government. So the, the easiest way, simplest and that, is to actually sit down with your family members, like on your female you know, line, matrilineal line. Get together, choose, you know what I mean, who's going to be your head grandmother, pledge your allegiance to her. Now, it's thing is that, that this is all sacred ceremony as well though right which people don't have much idea about anymore or right. people don't even believe in any sort of higher power and that well you're kind of hooped if you don't because <laughs> that is the root of all law Supreme so what Lord about, Lord I mean, now what about someone like me whose background is Judeo-Christian aren't we well, you say the that it is, from but the... not really, because if you go, see, again, that religion and story comes about at a certain point in time. But prior to that, what were you? You're not what was said in the book. You know what I mean? I'm getting back to your primitive roots. Right. Because primitive means ancient, antique, savage. <laughs> um, see, look, okay, there's Israelites and Israelites. As, you know, I mean, the original and the ones that call themselves Israelites now, not the Israelites as they were originally, like slight different spelling, the E and the A, depending on how you interchange them. Meredith um, says the Hebrews were adopted by the Israelites, the original tribal peoples, and they were taught like tribal knowledge by them. Then the Hebrews turned around, knocked off the Israelites, and took over that position for themselves kind of thing. Yeah. And he says, but you can see that they didn't, keep the full teachings that they were taught because you can see what their teachings are now and knowing what they are as tribal, what they would have been, right? But they were taught stuff, you know, and then they turned around and did that. So the Hebrews aren't Israelites anyway. They were adopted by them and taught knowledge to them by the Israelites. Now you explain that to some Jewish people and it's like, no! <laughs> so it's really well, hard to know how to self-identify. I know well, that... yeah. You know, some of us have um, found a home in um, the Essene schools that have been revived, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which... Well, it's not that hard, really. You just trace it down your matrilineal side. You come from the white tribe, red tribe, yellow tribe, black tribe. It's like, as an example of what I'm talking about, Obama. Most people would look at him and think and say... He was the first black president in American history, right? Because he's a black man, isn't he? father's side. Bingo. That's right. It's on his father's side that he's a black man. Mm -hmm. But under clan law and gen law, where do you trace your ancestry from? 
mother. Right. And his mother was a what? Wealthy white woman, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is Obama? He's a white man. <laughs> the fact that he's got white, black skin has got absolutely nothing to do with him being a black man. Now, if his mother had been black and uh, the father was white, he wouldn't even be allowed to be the president because a black man's not allowed to be the president of the United States anyway, is he? <laughs> Uh, um, right. So let's go, <laughs> let's go back to um, to what's going on um, in the Dakotas right now. So the first step you said is is for the um, the women to get together. And well, the whole, men as well with the you know women because they're all part of the clan as well. The family, okay. the clan to get together and um, choose. A clan mother, yes. and swear their allegiance, and then what? Yes. Then what? Well, then, then you can command them what you want them to do in your territories, because you're speaking then from the position of authority. See, like if the clans got together and they do that, all those male warriors out there have pleasure. Then they're operating under the authority of the sovereign. If she sends them out there to go and do it, they've got the law on their side. You understand? They can go out there and start shooting them state troopers. And legally, all those state troopers can do is turn tail and run. Well, I'm sure people would be concerned that the state troopers would would fire back. I'm sure they would. But the point is, if you do your paperwork and you've done it and you send it off to them and that, they they do, you know, the guys on the ground will get informed. Believe you and me. That's why that cop didn't charge me, because he knew my European name. But you see, he operated under the correct protocol. He didn't assume who I was. He asked me who I was. And I identified myself as Eagle Eye Man. So even though he knew what my white man name was, he couldn't use that because I didn't say that. Same with any savage. And if you're speaking from a position of authority, meaning you've got clan mothers, the law, see, when you pledge your allegiance to her, then that's your belief system, right? That you've got to do what she tells you kind of thing. Like she's your queen. Well, that is what's known under international law, Romans again, as opinio juris, civ necessitus, which means basically your own belief that binds you to do what's necessary. So if she commands you to go out that cop, it's, uh, say, an Indian clan mother and head clan mother says I want well that's, yeah, that's a good story I'll tell you right now um, you know how when a school bus stops and it puts on its lights and you're not allowed to go past it yes okay he says Meredith says you've got the clan mothers of the Pueblos in New Mexico to thank for that because I guess what would happen is the school bus would pull up on the reservation whatever and drop dropping kids off and cars would, you know, pass the go past the school bus and hit a kid just as they're crossing the road and things, right? Kids were getting killed fairly sort of steady by getting off the school buses and things. So the clan mothers told the chief, the next white man that kills an Indian kid, you shoot him dead. <laughs> Guess what happened? A white guy did go around the bus, hit, hit an Indian kid, killed him. Chief walked up to him and shot him dead. 
What was wow. the consequence of that action? Um, it's illegal to go around school buses in any civilized nation in the world now, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. Wonder so, why. Because so they made it so on the pain of death. So let's go back. Um, we started... I just wanted to show you as an example yes. the power of a grandmother. Because them doing that wasn't just that guy shot, got shot. The civilized nations or in the laws about not allowed to go around school buses. They changed their laws to make it such you're not allowed to go around school buses. That's so, why. So now the jurisdiction, things aren't taken to the U.S. courts. You said something earlier about taking it to Congress? Yes, because that's like the international uh, part, isn't it? The United States framework set up how they conduct business. That Congress is meant to take care of international business, isn't it? All right. So that's the avenue that you would use then if you're on international business, isn't it? Yes. As opposed to, you know, the domestic court, which is only concerned with domestic matters, domestic, like in-house, its own, you know, within its own borders and authority, right? But if you're an Indian from a tribe that geographically, like, seems to be residing in the United States, and this is covered in their statutes and things, explaining about Indians, because Indians are a very technical problem. Because you can be living in the United States seemingly, but and it tells you right in there, but he's not a member of the United States, not a citizen of, because he's a citizen of his own tribe and land. Yeah. You've got to remember all the United, what the United States is claiming. They haven't got any land, and it's all over, it's all Indian land that they're claiming. Right. And the only way you can lay claim to land is with clan mothers. Because like, a lot of Indians tell you, well, no, you can't claim, nobody can own the land. Well, that's true. That is the Indian belief and tribal people's belief. But what you can own is the fictional 10%, the title. Because that old saying, possession is nine-tenths of the law. That's a legal term. Right? Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, that's 90%. What's the other 10%? The other 10% is the title. And if you have both possession and title, then what do you have? You have locked up. Percent. You've got a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Exactly locked up, and you do. See, that's what the clan mothers have. That's why they're technically known as the landlords of the territories, because they hold the session jurisdiction, territorial title, title to their territories, peoples are possessing, living on, right? Wherever their language is spoken is where the jurisdiction runs by a linguistic concept, not like a line on the map for a civilized nation. Wherever your tribal so, language is spoken is where your jurisdiction runs, is where your people's territory, where you have so jurisdiction they, over. So they go to Congress. Where to Congress? Um, well, good question. I uh, haven't really looked at it specifically, and I don't think it would be too hard to find out. You just... Uh, go and a- ask them, you know what I mean? Where, where does, whenever, you know, foreign nation wants to talk to you, who do they talk to? How do they approach it? Be about the simplest way I could say, I haven't even really looked it up, you know what I mean? I just, because I know it's there, you just, you can find out how does one nation talk to the, another, you know what I mean, right now, sort of thing, what protocols they go through. Like, the, I think it's the United States Secretary, actually, is who you would talk to, like, an initially sort of thing, right? Because he's the one responsible for international matters. It's like 
you don't talk directly to the president. You know what I mean? You don't bypass him. You the correct protocol, and that is to go to the yeah. I think the, the Secretary of the United States. I think it is something like that. I think it is. Is the one that's responsible for you know international matters, right? That's who you right. talk to first, kind of thing, because you're bringing an international matter to the attention, right? Now, what if um, what if the clan mother um, misbehaves, proves to be unworthy, so to speak? Then what happens? Well, it's a good question. Then I imagine it's up to the people, because there has to be some mechanism for that in case of that happens, right? Mm-hmm. I imagine it would have to be again by the will of the people to remove her and replace her with somebody else. But uh, it's not a light a lightly done thing either, right? Because that is your pledging, you know, that could be construed as treason. <laughs> right. Because it would be treason to your clan mother if you're going against her if well, after you've pledged your allegiance to her, you see. That's mm-hmm. what I mean, the significance of these acts, you know, they're not just words, they have meanings, you know what I mean? It means you you do pledge your allegiance your queen literally that's what it means and that's the power of it civilized nations have told you know the government tells people that they'll communicate with them through the medium of theater and people think you know news and stuff but if you've ever been to the movie theaters they told you they're going to talk to you through the medium of movies right and then like for example the matrix all that roman world of law a lot of um Costner's movies, like Dances with Wolves, that was about law. Especially at the end there, when that gives you an example of what I was talking about with that cop. Do you remember when the American soldiers caught him near the end of the movie, and they were questioning yeah. him and beating him, kind of thing? And uh-huh. he was he was uh, he was he was originally identifying himself as John Dunbar, wasn't he? His his yeah. you know white man's name, right? When they were, and then they did something. One of them hit him or something, and then he just kind of got pissed off, and he said. He spat and said, I am dances with wolves, and you are not worth speaking to. Huh. Now, do you see what he just did there? He um, stepped into a different world. Yes, a different jurisdiction entirely. That's right. That's exactly mm-hmm. what he did. That's a legal thing as well, though, you see. Because now he's no longer under the sovereignty of the United States. He just identified as something else entirely. And wow. then when they were taking him back, his brothers come and shot all the soldiers and they took off, right? <laughs> right. But, yes, they show you law through a lot. The Postman is another one. If you ever watch Cost- Kevin Costner's movie, The Postman, see, that's an incredible movie as well because there is actually a defined ending to a civilized nation, right? That To, to, to say whether that nation no longer exists, like it's ended. You know what it is? What? It's its inability to deliver the mail. Wow. Mm-hmm. When a nation is no longer able to deliver its mail, then it's ceased to function. <laughs> and what was the whole premise of that movie? It was after nuclear war and there was no communication, no mail. He ended up setting up a communication mail system, didn't he, between all the various isolated towns and things, right? I haven't seen the movie. I'll have to watch it. Oh, it's a very good movie. If you're interested in law, like <laughs> it's bang on the whole thing right through how he first presents himself, saying it was under a government, you know, regulation that he's making it upright when he gets to this first little city sort of thing. But it's law though how he presents himself and the whole concept. And like I said, 
that is how a civilized nation's ending is defined. Well, that whole movie was about after this sort of, I don't know, post-apocalyptic event or whatever, and there was isolated towns and, you know, all over and stuff. And you ended up setting a mail route up kind of thing between them eventually, right? And at the end of the movie, the civilizations come back like those people in nice dresses at the beginning. They're all, you know, ratty looking and because people are just barely surviving kind of thing. You know what I mean, <laughs> after you got the mail route going, it's like the whole civilization came back. They got nice clothes again and things like that. It's a, a funeral for him at the end kind of thing. Well worth watching. But like I said, communicating through the movies, they, they communicate all of this knowledge to you. They show it to you in movies which is what they've openly stated they're going to do, communicate with you through the medium of theatre. The reason right. for that is because you as a peoples, any of the peoples, cannot say, you never told us this. Right. Because they have. They told you, and they did, and they showed it to you in a movie. It's not their fault if you mistook that for, oh, it's just a movie. Right. Okay. Well, back to um, the case study in, in the Dakotas. So... Um, the, let's let's suppose the people get together and they um, choose the clan mother and they go to the secretary of state or the proper authority. Um, Actually, and, the Bureau of Indian Affairs is who they would be dealing with as well. Well, because as a sovereign Indian nation, the Bureau uh, of Indian Affairs. Yeah, I got to interject here because the BIA isn't what most people think it is. The Bureau of Indian Affairs is the United Nations of the sovereign Indian tribes kind of thing. The Bureau of Indian Affairs has a hell of a lot more power than you realize. The Bureau of Indian Affairs was set up to stop the Americans from bothering the Indians. Hmm, it often seems so like now, the CIA is set up to going blow on. Off. Yes, uh, right. But that's because the Indians that they're dealing with are what kind of Indian? Inhabitants. Inhabitants. Indians. Prisoner of war Indians. Not sovereign Indians, are they? Not ones that are present. Like, uh, for an example, the Western Shoshone that you just said. Well, her own course of action is determining, you know, what standing she's having, right? So they can do, you know, you understand what I'm trying to say? No. It's, um, they're not sovereign. What I just said about the BIA and how it's to and what it's there for now only applies to sovereign Indians, those that have clan mothers, sovereigns. How many of those Indians that you were just mentioning that they deal with are that kind of Indian? I don't know of any. There you go. That's the problem. Because that kind of Indian is an inhabitant, a third world citizen. They've got no legitimate clan mother system. That's it. Right there. That's the whole whole game. <laughs> Clan mothers. Right. So does one have to eliminate one's incorporated status then as well? No. No. I'm, I think that's a choice of up to the Clan mothers because as savages, that's got nothing to do with you. My thoughts on the matter is you can accept that as a gift from them. Sponta oblata which means like no strings attached, for you to use at your convenience or pleasure in the imaginary world if you want. Because hmm. you've got to have some means of communicating with the imaginary world, right? That's what your person's for. 
Right. Because, as in, to explain what I mean, talking with the imaginary world, well, there's an old saying, legal saying, the dead can talk to the dead and the living can talk to the living. Like I'm talking to you right now, aren't I? Yes. But there's also that person, Lisa Wolf, which is the artificial, the birth certificate. It's right. a dead entity. Right? It's make-believe. Just right. like Walmart. Walmart is a corporation. It's a dead entity as well, isn't it? Yes. What I'm getting at is you, as the living being, cannot phone Walmart and talk to Walmart, can you? No. Why not? Because it's dead and you're alive, aren't you? Right. It's a dead entity. You're alive. Living cannot talk to the dead. Living can talk to living. Dead can talk to dead. But living can't talk to the dead. Dead can't talk to the living. Because it's a corporation. You're alive. Okay. Say you want to get heat from the hydro company or electricity to your house. You as a living being, them as a dead corporation, how are you going to talk to them to get power to your house? They can't see you. They can't hear you, can they? No. All right, enter the transmitting utility, your person. It has a name that's similar to yours. It's in all uppercase letters. You were taught to spell it uppercase, lowercase. When you went to school, which is obviously then that person can't be you because that's not how you were taught to spell your name. But seeing as it, it is an imaginary legal fiction, it's a corporation as well. Well, the power company can see it and can give it power, can't they? It's just a go-between. It's your conduit to talk to the imaginary world. Because your person cannot walk, talk, fart, or think. You do everything for it. Because it doesn't exist in the real world, does it? It's imaginary fiction, just like the Walmart is an imaginary fiction. You can't talk to it. It's just a corporation. It's imaginary, same as your person is. But because your person is the same as the corporation then it can talk, they can talk to each other. And that's how you get hydro and whatever other services that you want from corporations. Because you have to have some means, avenue of communicating with them. And that's what your person's for. That's why it's known as a transmitting utility. So supposing um, the, um, the clan mother doesn't get... Um, heard by the BIA, then what? Oh, no, she would get heard. Um, <laughs> understand, it's a world of law, the letter of the law. When they're dealing with sovereign, they, they honor the law. This is what I'm saying. You've got to truly understand the power of the sovereign. I mean, they wouldn't there's, say, there's well, not, we only not, deal no, with uh, the elected uh, tribal no, government. No, 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 no. That's what they're dealing with in in the meantime because they haven't got any of the other ones to tell them what they want undone, do they? No. Because they don't only deal with. That's not what they're originally set up for, and that's not what they're for. They're there to restrain and stop the American military and peoples from bothering the Indian. So they said they've got a lot more power than you realize. Well, remember when Russell Means was setting up the Republic of Lakota? Uh, vaguely. Um, and then there was question as to whether or not it was legitimate or not. But obviously, if they didn't set it up with the clan mother, mm -hmm. uh, it would have been problematic. No, if it, like if you said, if it had been set up properly, paperwork done and sent out and what have you, 
there is no ifs, ands, or buts. It's law. Having clan mothers sign it, clan mothers are the law. That's what makes it law. So is there paperwork, Eagle, that yep. has to be done? And can people um, reach out to you to um, get such templates of paperwork? Well, that's kind of a... What I like to try and do is, you know that old saying about give a man a fish, feed him for a day, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime? Absolutely. Okay, well, I can like, provide that templates of, say, letters that were sent out years ago to the Queen commanding her to do some things, and she responded acknowledging it, and did as she was commanded. But that could be a very dangerous thing to do, because that's just like sort of giving a fish. If you remember what I said earlier about, you can say one wrong word can kill you say the wrong thing kind of thing. You know, where do you live in the United States? Right. See, I'd much rather people, well, not much rather, <laughs> you have to first, understand the foundation, understand fully what it is to be, you know, a signatory, a savage, uh, to, how to talk, to present yourself, because one wrong word can kill you. <laughs> you know, like I said, your paperwork can be perfect and spot on and you put it in and it doesn't matter if the first word that comes out of your mouth undoes all your paperwork, right? Right, right. And I don't want to put somebody in a position of sending out that paperwork and then not being able to defend themselves and you know, how to communicate properly, right, to defend that position. Right. And assert that position. <laughs> so how do we move forward then? with educating people and empowering them, Eagle? Um, probably, basically, to make, make them aware of their clan heritage, like their tribal identity as tribal beings. Because most people have lived for generations and generations under the civilized concept of living, right? And, and religions as well to get people to move away from any of their respective beliefs so that they be, you know, say a Christian union or a Muslim is a very, how do you say, hard thing. It's also something as one of the spiritual laws, not meant to say anything to anybody that would cause them to change their own religious belief unless they ask you to tell them something. Right. I say that there's also like a religious law that you're not meant, like uh, religious teachings under the old way, like you're not meant to say anything, tell anything to anybody that would cause them to change their own religious belief, like thinking in that, unless they ask you to tell them something. Right. And that's what it all comes down to is <laughs> necessity for people to change their religion because religion is law. Well, many people are, as you say, you know, operating at this point without religion, having as they attempt to find their freedom. Yes. Uh, and it's not in that route either. <laughs> it's almost like an oxymoron because you're free to choose who your headlamer is going to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so choose wisely because <laughs> she's got the power of life and death over you because you've given it to her. 
So you see what I mean? Like that's true freedom. <laughs> but under that old lifestyle, I don't think that it's not like your clam head grandmother, you know, was in your business, what have you, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, major important like settling matters of import and things like that, or talking with other clans of different tribes as the, you know, representative of that whole clan of family, you know. Right. Um, to, you know, to conduct like international matters, speaking on that behalf sort of thing. Um, as for example, you watched, you ever seen the movie Avatar? Yes. See that? It's all about what I've been talking about. This whole matter of international law and clan mothers and everything. Well, that entire movie from the very beginning to the very end is everything that I've been telling you about. Because if you remember when he's rolling off the ramp on the spaceship when he first gets there, you can hear that guy talking in the background and he says, these savages. I remember hearing that and thinking, oh. And then this truck comes into view, rolls into view, and you see these big arrows sticking out the tires. And as soon as I seen that, I was like, oh, okay. Because he just said savages and that is great big arrows, bows and arrows. What are savages used to have, you know, bows and arrows? Sure enough. Remember what I said, savage comes from Silvictus. Silvictus, those who live amongst the trees. And what mm-hmm. did they call those blue guys, the Nade? Savages, right? Mm-hmm. Where were they living? Amongst the trees. Didn't they have a clan? He joined their clan, didn't he? Yes. And he became one of them. And there was four other clans as well, wasn't there? There was five clans altogether. At the yes. end of the movie, when they're going to fight them, they sent out word to the other clans. Remember, clans make up a tribe. The tribe is a sovereign nation. And there are, by law, international law, five basic clans that make up a tribe. So to be a full tribe under international law, you need all five of your full basic clans as well, right? But anyway, um, so that was one clan. There was a chief. Was he the boss? Because yeah. he was the one sort of giving orders, right? And then when they, when that guy first got captured and brought before them, and he decided what was going to happen with him. But then his wife came out, didn't she? Yeah. Came down and pricked him with that <laughs> little bony thing and tasted his blood and said, well, very well, we'll see if your insanity can be cured, which is also an interesting term as well, because remember what about saying about people, how they're classified, non-compass mentis, child of the province, they're non-compass mentis, they're insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally, that's what they are, because <laughs> they think they're these artificial legal creations, right? Are you this person? Right. Yeah, you're insane. So we'll see if your insanity can be cured. She was the boss, wasn't she? The head clan mother, you see? Yeah. This is what I'm telling you about, how they're showing you all of this in the movies. That movie was entirely about international law. From the terms, the words that they use, savage, clans. And if you remember what I said about how the clan mothers have the powers to control the forces of nature. Yes. What happened at the end of that movie? Didn't all the uh, forces of nature come to their aid? Yes. Yeah. The power, clan mothers have the powers to control the forces of nature, to keep the peace. So that entire you... movie is based on everything I've learned from Meredith, and that it's almost like if I, I've often thought about it, to write a movie script because you could write a really good movie from all this knowledge of Meredith and the history and everything, and how it all ties together, like ties in and that. But 
it's almost like, well, they did it with that movie there because I was watching it thinking, well, they, yeah, somebody wrote it. Because that's, that's like, if you understand what it is that you're seeing, that movie is the equivalent to like going to a university and listening to, a, you know, an international law professor, like going to class on international law. That's how detailed and, <laughs> and the extent of what's being shown there. So have have your people um, empowered your your clan mother? Yes. Yeah, they did their own paperwork this tribe here about twenty years ago, twenty one years ago, nineteen ninety five. Uh, they sent some commands to the queen, like identifying themselves, who they were, kind of thing, and what have you, and gave her some commands, and she wrote back. Acknowledge their letter and pass it on to the Governor General. Did exactly as she was commanded to do. Wow. But they say you want the knowledge of how to present yourself and maintain it, right? Yes. After the fact. Because as Meredith said, it's nothing to create and make you sovereign, but <laughs> they'll overwhelm you in six months with, through the religion. Because as a judge told some Indians one time, that when I said you can't go to church on Sunday and be an Indian on Monday. Well, that was a judge down that for Indians. He wasn't joking. He's making a legal point. Because if you're Indian, then you're not going to know you've got a different religion from the white man's in you going to church on Sunday. Right. That's the law. You can't say you're a sovereign Indian if you believe in Christianity and go to church on Sunday, or if you're an Indian and believes in Muslims, well, then you're not the original. It's not your original religion, so either which way. Wow. There's law, you see. So can people be adopted into a sovereign na nation as, as Dances with Wolves was? Well, look at Dances with Wolves and what was that movie we were just talking about? Avatar? Avatar. Wasn't, mm -hmm. Didn't they show you the adoption process there? Yes. Wasn't he adopted and became one of them? Yes. Well, that answers your question. And once he was <laughs> one of them, <laughs> and once he and once he was one of them, what was he? He, he was, was one of them. One of them. No different from any other one of them, right? Right. He's one of the people. Yeah. So that would seem to be the path forward. Yes. Yes. Which is what I felt for a very long time. Yep. That, uh, like I said, I believe you can find your own as well, right? Like, you know, I mean, you could become from Bear Clan, Wolf Clan, Eagle Clan, like from whatever tribe you come from. Right. And you can find that out spiritually. And if not, though, yes, you can be adopted into a, a clan as well. Well, I don't know that I want to speak about it on the air, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, that perhaps something we'll speak about more. Um, privately, um, but let's, um, is there, let's see, we, um, we shared with listeners that it would be beneficial to um, read Black's Law Dictionary. Um, where can people study um, the work of Meredith Quinn? Okay, um, on Facebook, if one was to search for Universal Law, The Writings of Meredith Quinn. There is a page there that has a lot of his works posted up for people to read. 
There's an awful lot of knowledge on that page from other various sites as well, but all pertaining to law, meanings of words, terms, explanations of things, so that one can begin to grasp the fundamentals kind of thing. And the fact that you're dealing, like I said, it's semantics. That's the trickery is when the white man says that, <laughs> the Indian said the white man speaks with forked tongue. That's mm-hmm. a legal truth because, like I said, you've got English and you've got legalese. Everybody's speaking on the street, you know, that common understanding of it. And it's legal meaning, two entirely different things. Forked tongue. You're saying one thing, you think it means this, but actually you're saying something else, it means this entirely different. <laughs> right. And the Indian can see that, you know, because see the interesting thing about language. The English language is a singular thought concept language. It's reasoned in the compartmentive and spoken in duality. Now, if you comprehend all of that, the, in, the Indian languages, the original tongues and things, they are what's known as a multiple thought concept language. And being that they're multiple thought concept languages, then they force one to think in a multiple thought concept framework in the mind. Now, so when the white man spoke, the Indian could always understand what he was saying because the white man speaking, if you know, like two fingers speaking in duality. But the white, the Indian, being that he spoke in a multiple thought concept language, is working on many different levels. So he always could tell when, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Could tell when the white man was lying anyway because he's right. well above and beyond the duality spoken singular thought concept language when you've got a multiple thought concept language. It's far superior, you see. So much to do with language. Language, English language is a terrible man-made <laughs> language. It is man-made, made by man, right? It's trickery. Like I said, the words of art all has meanings. That's their magic words, words of art. Right. So, um, so your tribe was able in the '90s then to establish your sovereignty is yes. that is that holding ground for you i mean as far as um the um strength of your community uh it's tenuous only because of internal uh, family dynamics but that's a matter that we resolved in time anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. like i said it's uh Sovereignty is a very fragile thing when you can keep and lose it, depending on what you say. <laughs> right. Well, to Black's Law Dictionary and to... Any of the, yeah, there's Bouvier's. There's an excellent, uh, from what I've seen, the uh, um, Law Dictionary, John Bouvier. Yes. And is he related... say, the reason I'm saying older ones. No, I was going to say, the reason I say the earlier editions is because they give a much better explanation of words. Newer edition um, dictionaries try and hide like what it is they're really saying. It takes a lot more work to, to trace back from the, how they describe it to what it actually is saying. It's a lot more succinct, succinct and exact a description from the earlier you know, editions. Right. As an example, like I said, Black's Law, if human, if you look for human in there, in the second edition, it's there's no, it's not in there, the word human, right? Huh. From what I've understood, I haven't seen it, but I've 
someone has told me that has seen like Black's Lord, the first edition. Yes. The word human was in there. Defined in a similar fashion, same thing. But as, that's an example of why I'm saying that earlier editions are better because from the first to the second already, the word human is gone. Right. Just out of curiosity, is the Bouvier of the Bouvier mm-hmm. Law Dictionary, is that related yes, that's to what I'm talking um, about. Jacqueline um, Bouvier Kennedy? Is that her lineage? Did she I have no her? idea, but it's an interesting concept, though. Interesting thought. Yeah. I hadn't. I wasn't aware of that. Actually. I hadn't thought about that. I would think so, but um, and not really that important. <laughs> Although it would it it would lead one to understand um, the leanings towards integrity of such people um, yes. coming from um, from such a lineage. Um, now back to I mean, is, what is the path to adoption? Um, well, that would be a clan mother of a clan, accepting you her into her clan, right? And right. again, there would be ceremony involved, you know, like it's a spiritual ceremony involved as well, right? What you're talking about, but basically, that that's all. It, that's what it is. You know what I mean? It's as simple right. as that sort of thing, really. Nice. Um, we are coming down to the last ten minutes of um, of this program. Is there anything um, that you'd like to um, to leave our listeners with on this episode? Uh, <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. I'm not sure what to say, really, because I understand whoever might have been listening to this come across it. There are concepts that uh, seem hard to grasp and one's never heard of, but religion is what it all comes down to. That is what law is. Basically, it's about the only thing it says. We've all been duped through these man-made religions. Because our original religion that was in the very beginning that everyone had was tribal. Everybody had the clans and tribes in the very beginning. That's why it's known as the supreme law of the land. Because it's what here is here first, and it gets its authority from the creator. Because and it's what's naturally within you. Exactly. Each person has a divine connection. Yes. We're all connected to nature as well, right? And right. that's what it's all about. You have to get back to your connection, actually, to, the, to nature. To the spiritual um, world, like that it exists, it is true, it is real, it is part of our <laughs> existence and experience. And do you want to give away for people to get in touch with you, or do you want people to contact me to get to you? I mean, how how do um, you address that? Uh, they can contact you, and they can also contact me through that uh, Universal Law, the Writings of Meredith Quinn page on Facebook because I am the administrator for that page. All right. Wonderful. So any any, you know, messages and things like questions that come up on there I I'm there to respond to. Great. Great. Well let's um let's do this again, Eagle. And I will do some uh communicating 
both yep. with um, the Western Shoshone, the Nui, and and also um, with the Lakota Sioux, and um, make sure that people listen. Or you know, you can lead a horse to water, but yep. um, give them the opportunity to um, listen to the conversation. Um, <clears throat> thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. It's always, it's not always, it's it's essential um, in such critical times to know that there is a path forward to return people to right relationship with each yes. other and with the earth and that we can um, choose other than um, subjugation to the Roman slavery system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what we're under right now. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and so listeners, to become part of the Utopian Realities Slope Earth Aid Mission, contact White Buffalo Nation at gmail.com and visit wbnslope.weebly.com and our White Buffalo Nation Facebook page and support the slope mission at gofundme.com backslash slope. Your contributions help keep this mission going as we work to get solutions to all the people and life on Earth. Thank you again so much, Eagle. Um, together, let's save life on planet Earth. That's yours, mine, and all of ours on and in the land, waters, and air. Thanks for joining us. Till next time, this is Lisa Wolf for Slope, Save and Sustain Life on Planet Earth, Earth Aid. Let's give the Earth and all her children freedom from fear, lack, and degradation, and bring a utopian reality now. We're going to close with a song by my friend Terry LeBlue of DroughtMasters.net, I believe it is. He makes um, machines that... um, make drinking water from the air and he's also an incredible uh, singer songwriter and he is sending me a signed willie nelson guitar (laughs) 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 that's pretty awesome so Eagle, we're going to listen to this song as we close okay all right
Thanks, Eagle. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. All right. You take care. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.